Well, before we look into God's word, let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we come before you as people who are so often hard-hearted and not willing to listen to what you have to say, who do not have an interest in understanding your law because it impacts upon our lives and desires that we change our bad habits and our bad behaviours. Lord, we pray that this morning, as we listen to what Jesus said so many years ago, that it may indeed impact upon our hearts and that we may have a fresh and renewed desire to live according to your law so that on that last day you may say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. I grew up at a place called Tarmore. Many of you probably do not know where that is. It's out near Picton. And some people in Sydney would consider that area of Sydney as country. They'd say it's almost like country New South Wales. Tarmore isn't that small and it's gotten a lot bigger since we left. But up the road from Tarmore there's a little town called Bargo which if Tarmore is country, well then this place is really country. It's only got a handful of little shops it's always got a, every little country town always has a pub and Bargo is no exception, it has a pub there as well and it even has a railway station so it's not that far off the map. But it is indeed a, a very small little town and it's a quiet town and the roads are wide and big and you can find parking wherever you really want to choose. And so I remember when I was 12 years old in 1992 how big a shock it was when a little girl when she got off the school bus coming home from from school, she was abducted and it was a big impact upon that Bargo community and upon the next community down the road, Tarmore, where I lived. And so a huge number of people turned up to search for her. They thought she had gone into the bush somewhere and gotten lost. And so uh, it was counted that 200 volunteers showed up to search for her in the bush along with 100 policemen came to the area to look for her. And... It was later found, she was found, and she was found to have been killed. Uh, The man who had taken her, who had abducted her, had put her in his car, taken her into the bush, sexually assaulted her many times, and then weighed down her school bag, put her into the dam, and she had drowned in one of our dams. And it made a huge impact upon the community because it is a small town. There isn't much news in Bargo generally. And so there was great community outrage against this guy. Um, And then in the court proceedings it was said that he showed no remorse for his actions and so Justice Peter Newman refused to fix a non-parole period when he um, gave him his sentence and ordered that his papers were to be marked never to be released. Of course the man appealed against this uh, this sentence and when the judges dealt with the appeal they said the community interest in retribution, deterrence, protection of the community in such situations may so strongly outweigh any regard for rehabilitation and that's when a life sentence becomes a real option. This little girl, Ebony Simpson, her death made a real impact upon the community. Um, I remember people even coming round to the door asking my parents to sign a petition that he would be given the death penalty, that capital punishment would be reintroduced for his case 
because it was such a, a gruesome murder, it was such a terrible thing. And we tend to react that way to when we hear about the murder of someone, particularly when it's children, but even adults. Murder is a terrible thing. It outrages us in our hearts and throughout most of the world, when you murder someone, the, uh, the sentence that is given is capital punishment. In America, in many of the states, the death penalty is still in force for those who murder people. But we often don't think of ourselves as murderers. We haven't committed the act of murder. We haven't killed anyone. But when Jesus looks at us, he does see us as murderers. When he looks at the law and he understands what the law is saying, he says that we are murderers. We react with outrage and shock against murder and rightly so when it takes place, but we don't react the same way when we do those things that Jesus considers as murder, as killing someone. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at Jesus' understanding of the command, do not murder, because he introduces it in this passage that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, by showing that there's a false understanding of the command of do not murder and he has come to bring the right understanding. The way we know that he understands it as false, that there's a false understanding out there, is the, the quotation that he gives in verse 21. In verse 21 it says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It looks like Jesus is quoting the law there, which he is, but the law only has the first three words of the quotation that you have there in Matthew 21, do not murder. That's from the law. The rest is actually the commentary that the scribes and the Pharisees used to put upon the commands of God. So the Jews wouldn't have the opportunity to, to read the Hebrew for themselves. Not, uh, not all of them knew Hebrew. And so the way that they would understand what the law said is by listening at the synagogue. So it would be read out. And that's why Jesus says, you have heard. So the Jews understood the law and what it says by listening. And so these guys would come along and say, it was said to Moses, to those people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgement. And they didn't distinguish between when the law stopped being read and when their commentary started coming through. And so their commentary would actually have the same authority, it would sound like it had the same authority as the law. And so what this had happened with this particular command and their commentary is that they'd reduced it from being what God understands murder to be and the punishment for murder to something less that it was just the physical action that was murder and that they had reduced the, the judgement that would come with it. It says, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgement. The word judgement there is a reference to the tribunal, the sort of the councils, the man-made councils that they would have to judge people. And so they had removed the idea that God would then punish the person. The most you could get for murder is the death penalty from a human court. They hadn't emphasised that you're in danger of being judged by God for an eternity. And so Jesus wants to get at their misunderstanding of this command, do not murder, and tell us what God really thinks is the way that you can murder people. That it's not just about killing someone and being handed over to a human court, it's much more. 
And there my, my, so I have three main points this morning about how Jesus tells us to avoid murdering people, how to keep this command. And I've got them in the bulletin again this week, uh, my, my three main points. If you find that helpful, do let me know um, and I'll continue doing so. So my first main point is do not murder with anger. Do not murder with anger. And we see this in verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. There is such a thing as an unrighteous anger, getting angry at someone that Jesus counts as murder. Now we have to be careful here that we don't discard all anger, that we don't say that all anger is wrong. And over the years this has crept into some uh, manuscripts of of the New Testament and we see that this is uh, given to us in the NIV translation here and if you've got a King James Version you actually have a little something extra in verse 22. In verse 22 it reads, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother and then you've got a footnote if you've got the NIV, uh, the little letter B and it goes down to the margin and says some manuscripts without cause. So the word without cause is after his brother. And so they're emphasising there that there are some reasons to get angry. Now I do think that that's probably uh, an extra bit that wasn't there in the original because the early manuscripts do not have the without cause but it is uh, showing us that we do need to understand that there are times when we do need to get angry and that there is a place for righteous anger because of course God gets angry and God is a righteous God. He is holy, holy, holy as we have just sung. And if anger is sinful, if anger on its own is sinful, well then God is sinful, which is something that we never should say comes from the word of God. We never understand that God sins. And so if he gets angry, then there must be a place for righteous anger. And it's interesting that the reasons Jesus, uh, that God gets angry is because of sin and injustice. God gets angry about sin. And so there is a place for us to get angry as well about sin and injustice. There is a place for anger just as there is a place for killing at times. It's interesting that this command is do not murder. It is not do not kill. It is do not murder. That we aren't to discard all killing. There is such a thing as a just war I believe and there is a place for killing people in such situations. And just as there is a place for killing, there is a place for anger at times that not all anger should be discarded. But the murder that Jesus is wanting to get at here and the anger that he's wanting to get at uh, are when we get angry for petty reasons and for things that are not about sin and injustice. When someone says something critical about us, that's a time that we can get angry. It may be true what they've said, but in our hearts anger arises. Other examples are when someone doesn't do what we want them to do. We've worked out what the plan is and we want them to go in a particular way and do the thing our way and then they don't do it and we get angry. Someone asks us to do something that we know we should be doing. This is a, a common occurrence in, in our household. Jill will ask me to do something and I know I should have done it. I know I should be doing it. And the anger just arises within me for no real reason. Or when someone confronts us on a sin, they notice a sin in our life. And they kindly rebuke us and tell us that you shouldn't be doing that. The anger arises. That is the kind 
of anger that Jesus is against. That is the kind of anger that murders. And it's interesting even how some little petty things can anger us. To, uh, there's a section in the Sydney Morning Herald, for those of you who are Herald readers, at the back called The Heckler. And it is an opinion column and it is opened up to readers to submit items to it. And the, the items that you submit to it are meant to be 500 words about something that makes your blood boil, something that makes you angry. And so I thought for this week's sermon, I'd take a bit of a, a look at the last two weeks to get an idea of what Sydney ciders get angry about and to see what makes their blood boil. Very interesting how petty the things are. There was, some, there was a piece about cat food advertising. There was a piece about getting asked about being a twin. This person is a twin. They're constantly asked questions about what it's like to be a twin, this kind of thing, and so that makes their blood boil. That makes them angry. Someone was angry that bird-watching books aren't helpful on bird sounds. Someone was angry about late buses. I, I, I put my hand up with that one. Having to wait at the newsagents for people to buy lotto when you're there just for a newspaper. That makes one person very angry. Not remembering your dreams. Toasters burning your toast. The difficulty of falling pregnant. Being denied homosexual marriage. Tourists taking too many photos makes one person very angry. They remember the days of Kodak cameras and where one person would get up, take one snap, sit down. Now they stand up with a digital camera going ching, 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 taking many photos and getting in the way. That makes this person very angry. Being asked, how was your weekend on Monday morning at the office makes one person very angry because all they can say is, I cleaned the house this kind of thing. They've got nothing to talk about and so they get angry when people ask them how was their weekend. And the last one, which I I can't believe was there, it says it was about people asking to bring something when you invite them over for dinner. So you've planned this dinner, you have it all worked out, you ring them up, you ask them to come and they say, oh, can I bring anything? And then you've got to feel rude that you say no when they probably would bring something that doesn't fit with the flow of your meal and so it would create a disaster for your dinner party. They got angry that people say, can I bring anything when you ring them up and invite them over? Those are the things that make these people, their blood boil, makes them angry at others. Isn't it interesting how petty the things are that can make us angry, that can make us murderous to those around us? Jesus says such anger against such things is murderous and it should be avoided. God understands it as murder. Second main point, do not murder with insults. And this is introduced for us in verse 22 as well. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus says that we can murder someone with our words. And this makes sense. It's understood as defamation of character. You're murdering the character of the person when you start calling them names such as these that Jesus gives. And he gives two. One is Raka, 
which is close to the Aramaic for empty. So it's basically saying, you empty-headed one, you numbskull. That's what, you know, blockhead was one translation that I looked at. And so it's expressing a contempt for the person's head. You're saying you're an idiot. The other one is fool, which we tend to think would be very similar to raka, that you're saying you're an idiot. But throughout the Bible, fool has an, an understanding, an overtone of moral a nature, a religious nature. And so in the Old Testament we see that it says, a fool says the fool says in his heart there is no God. So it's someone who is at discord with God, who is an enemy of God, who doesn't like God and who seeks to disobey God and his moral laws. And so there's two levels there. It's sort of one is uh, just saying you idiot and then the other one is sort of a heightened level where you're actually condemning someone to be at a distance from God. You're saying, you idiot, you are uh, a moral, you're an atheist, you're a, someone who deserves to go to hell. And that's one of the expressions that people do say. You say, you, you, um, you curse someone to hell. And so that is uh, something that Jesus is against as well. So the first one is expressing contempt for a man's head and the other one is expressing contempt for his heart and character. And Jesus says both are murder weapons. Both are ways of killing someone. But we have to be careful, just like we saw with anger, that complete disregard for all anger as, as sin is wrong, that there is a time for anger, and it's the same with these words, that there is a time to say them as well. And we actually see Jesus later on in this very gospel use the word fool in reference to the Pharisees. He calls them blind fools. And we see in Galatians, Paul called the Galatians, you foolish Galatians. There is a time to call people a fool, but it is in reference to when they are at discord with God and to wake them up from the sin that they are in. But Jesus is against not just call, not calling people fool for the right reason, but for calling them a fool for the wrong reason. And so we see that we have this verbal expression of the murder that we've already committed in our hearts of anger. So the, it comes out and we actually start to kill them more with our words. It's kind of like you've murdered them already in your heart and then you kill them with your words. It's, it's like when you, um, you kill someone with a gun, you shoot them once, they're dead, but then you empty the clip into them. And that's what you're doing with the insults. You've already killed them in your heart, but you're now going to go and kill them even more by insulting them. And you actually start to kill the person for those around you as well. When you call someone an idiot in front of others, other people start to think, oh, yes, idiot. And they start to call that person an idiot as well. You start to influence those around you when you come out verbally and say something like that. And so you actually start to bring accomplices in and kill the person off with you. Jesus says, no, we cannot do that. We cannot murder people by insulting them for no good reason. And then my third main point is, do not let others murder you. Do not murder with anger. Do not murder with insults. And then lastly, do not let others murder you. Because Jesus warns us about giving reasons for other people to murder you from unreconciled sin. And he gives two examples for this. One is in verse 23 and verse 24. It reads, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar 
and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying when you're at the temple at worship with God and you suddenly remember that you've sinned against someone and that they could potentially be angry at you, be murdering you in their hearts because of what you have done, don't wait, don't delay, go, reconcile yourself with that person, then come back and worship me. And so the benefit of doing that is actually proper worship. There's a benefit for you, there's a benefit for them that you're reconciling yourself with them, but there's a proper worship that will then take place. And this makes sense. If you come to God and ask him to accept you, to forgive you for your sin, but you are clearly unrepentant of your sin because you've never tried to resolve the sin that you have with that person, then God shouldn't be expected to forgive you. If you can't forgive the person that has done something to you or you can't resolve that sin with them, why should you expect God to forgive you? And so the modern equivalent is when we come to God, uh, we don't go to the temple and offer gifts like they did with the Jews, but the modern equivalent is us where we come to God in prayer and we offer the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We say to God, I trust in Jesus Christ for my sins. And then, but deep down in our heart, we haven't tried to make any sort of resolution. We aren't truly repentant because we've never tried to make a resolution with that person that we have sinned against. And so it is an important thing. Jesus says, don't continue offering worship. Go, reconcile, do it straight away. And people in church history used to pick up on this command here. And so before they would have communion, before they'd have the Lord's Supper, the church would gather together around the table and they'd all ask for forgiveness from one another, that there was no unreconciled sin between them. And so that then they could ask God to forgive them as well, just as they had gone to their brothers and tried to make amends for their sin and showed that they had true repentance and then they would go to God and remember what he had done at the cross for them. The other example is in verse 25 and 26. The other example of trying to stop someone murdering you. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The second example here is of someone who has an adversary, an enemy, who is taking them to court. Jesus says, don't let them murder you on the way. Don't let them murder you by taking you to court. Go to them quickly. Make amends with them. Don't let them murder you any more with anger and by taking you to court. Reconcile yourself with that person. And just as we saw that the benefit with uh, reconciling ourselves with our brother means proper worship, there's a benefit here as well. The benefit is that it prevents unnecessary pain. If you reconcile yourself with someone as you go on your way to court with them, you won't get thrown into prison and then have to pay it out anyway. Pay your debt out, you need to pay it out, but you can do it without going to prison. And it's even possible that on your way, the person may show some kindness to you and they may forgive some of your debt 
and you may not have to pay as much as you are actually owing them. You do some sort of compensation, you come to some sort of agreement. And so Jesus says, don't let people murder you on the way to court. Now many of you may not think I go to, um, I go to court very often with people who I've got a debt to, but there are different debts that come in different ways and that do have a sort of a legal uh, component with them. I think of one in particular that I am very much subject to and that is I get murderous letters quite frequently because I never really get around to paying my electricity bill on time. I know that they don't give any penalty for the second notice and so I just I, I have the money but I just don't get around to it. And what happens is a murderous letter comes and the second one always comes in red and, and it has a bit of a, a big bold overdue written up the top and it's a murderous letter. The company is angry with me. Now part of me says, oh well, it's just spat out by a machine that's sort of composing these things and no one's actually sat down and got angry at me. But the principle is still the same, that the company has decided that they will send these murderous threats, these ways of showing their anger, this way. And I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't allow my electricity bill to go overdue in its payment. And actually Leviticus 19, that passage that we read earlier, Leviticus chapter 19, it actually can speak to this. It speaks something very close to what I'm doing. It says, Leviticus 19 verse 13, Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. That principle, I think, can be carried over to my electricity bills that I'm not to hold back the wages of a hired man. I've hired the electricity company to provide me with electricity and here I am holding back the wages. And they then are getting angry with me and eventually would take me to court over that situation, that unreconciled sin with them. We have to be diligent at not giving people a reason to get angry with us, to send us murderous letters, to murder us in their hearts, to murder us with insults. We aren't to murder others and we're to stop people murdering us as well by not allowing sin to be unreconciled. So those are the three main points this morning that I think Jesus is making here. Do not murder with anger, do not murder with insults and do not let others murder you. Two lessons that I want to draw out from this now as we finish. Two lessons. First lesson is to any non-Christians who may be here this morning people who have not believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. I want you to notice how great your sin is and your need for forgiveness. Before we become a Christian, we so often think that we aren't very great sinners. We've never murdered anyone. We've never killed anyone. Jesus says you have. Your sin is great indeed. Your anger against things that are not about sin and injustice Those are murder events and you have then sinned against the living and true God. And that starts from a very young age. I think my son, Joshua, who's only four weeks old, has already murdered me many times. Whenever I change his nappy, he starts to cry. You undo his jumpsuit, it's cold, it's winter, he starts to cry. He looks angrily at you. Then as you open the nappy up, it's even colder. The cries go to a higher pitch. He gets even more angry and upset with me. And then when I get the cold wipe that's kind of wet and wipe him, 
it goes to a whole other level and I swear he is angry at me enough to kill him, uh, to kill me. And all I am doing is doing something that is right and good for him and he is angry about it. We start murdering people from when we are very young and our sin against God is very great. None of us can claim we are without sin. We start murdering people from a young age and therefore we need God's forgiveness. We need to be reconciled with him. And this last illustration that Jesus gives in verse 25 and 26 is a good example of what is our situation with God. It's about settling matters quickly with our adversary. God is our enemy when we are not a Christian. When we sin against him, we, are, we owe him something and he becomes our enemy. But what has God done? We are on our way to judgment. We are on our way to the judgment throne. When we die, we will be judged for our sin. God has come quickly to settle with us on the way to court on the way to the judgment throne. He has said, I'll do you a deal. I'll forgive your sin because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. You can go free. You can have your sin reconciled if you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. He has come to do a deal with you on your way to the judgment throne. Do a deal with him. If you're not a Christian, believe in him now. Because otherwise you will go to the judge and what happens then? You are thrown into prison and you don't get out until you pay the last penny. And that, if you're not a Christian, is hell. Prison is that hell that is there and it is eternal. You don't pay the last penny when you're in hell because it is an eternity of punishment. Jesus has come while you're on the way to court to reconcile himself with you. Don't delay. Be reconciled with him today. Lesson two is for Christians. Notice the standard that Jesus wants you to aspire to. Notice the standard. You may see murder as a horrible crime and be outraged about it, just as I gave that example at the beginning of that little girl who was murdered. The community was incensed about it. And rightly so. But do you have the same outrage or something too close to that degree when you see yourself calling someone a fool, an idiot, when you get angry at someone? Do you see that as a terrible thing in God's eyes? Jesus does. That is the standard that he wants you to aspire to. Not getting angry at people for petty little things not calling them fools and idiots. That's what he wants you to do. Not to get into heaven, but to show your love for what Jesus Christ did at the cross for you. Do you avoid becoming angry when someone has done something small against you, something that is not sinful, something that is not any sense of injustice to you? Do you react with anger? Do you try and avoid that? Do you avoid calling someone a fool, an idiot? Are you quick to resolve your sin with others so that they don't murder you, so that you can offer proper worship to God and not come before him with an unrepentant heart? 
and do you settle with your enemies as quickly as possible? Be sensitive to the murderous tendency that is in your heart, that anger and the name-calling that comes so easily. Jesus wants you to stop murdering people with your thoughts and words and stop encouraging people to murder you. May he indeed give us the grace to do so. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from your Son about how great our sin is against you, about how often we have been murderers to those around us when we should have been loving them instead. Lord, we thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. We pray that we may be the same. We may be slow to anger slow to call others' names and fast to resolve the sin that we may have caused against someone, that we may not want them to be murdering us, that we may always be truly repentant of our actions. Lord, we cannot do this without your help, without the Holy Spirit's strengthening work in our own hearts. Lord, may we indeed be sensitive to our murderous tendencies and always be seeking to love those around us rather than murder them. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.